At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. All right, church, will you stand, continue standing for the reading of Scripture? Today's reading comes from uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. It says this, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you can have a seat, but let me pray for us as well as we open up God's word. Father, thank you for who you are today. I just pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would uh, give us a sense of your presence and who you are and the hope that is to come. Um, We grow in our understanding of who you are, who Jesus is, Lord, and uh, just the hope that we have in Christ. It's in his precious and holy name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be back with you all. For the last five months, I have been over at our Farmington Hills campus as the family ministries director, but I'm sure as as many of you know, um, I was the 
Uh, I, was, I was here for the last five years. For those who don't know me, my name is Ryan Nast. Uh, so yeah, I, I've been here. Uh, this used to be my church home and, and, and so grateful for the time spent here as an intern, resident, and eventually student ministries director. Uh, when, when Pastor Jeremy asked if I could fill in for him this Sunday, I was, I was very excited to come back to see all of you and to, to be with you as we open up uh, God's Word, just see, see faces that I've missed. Uh, but grateful for the opportunity to be at our Farmington Hills campus as well. Um, grateful for, for Hope Week that's coming up here in just a little bit. I'm glad that uh, Rebecca had the chance to just kind of tell us about that. Uh, and, uh, and grateful for the opportunity to see some of the students that are from this campus that'll be there next week. If you want to learn more about Hope Week, there's a, actually an article in the back in the, the Woodsider that you can read to hear more about, uh, about, about Hope Week, how you can pray for Hope Week, some of the experiences that have taken p- place in the past there. So I just wanted to give that little plug for Hope Week too, uh, because it's just a phenomenal week and give you some ideas to how to pray. Uh, but anyways, this morning we're going to be continuing on in our series going through the end of the book of Revelation. We've called this series All Things New because that's what Jesus is going to come back and do. He's going to make all things new. And last week we got a beautiful picture of what that's going to look like, what we have in store for us in this eternal city that God has for us. And, uh, and it's, it's really, really a beautiful picture. If you weren't here last week, go back and watch the sermon. It was, it's phenomenal. It's just this, this, this place where we get to be in the presence of God forever. It's a happy ending for those who believe in Jesus. And, uh, and yeah, it's just a, just a really good end of the story. But yet, we, while we know that's what's to come, we also know we aren't there yet. Right? We, we, like, this world constantly reminds us that we're not in this place this, this perfect city that God will one day have for us. And that might cause us to ask the question, how do I live now in light of the hope that is to come? How do I live now in light of the hope that, that is to come? And the answer is actually probably more simple than you think, although it's, it's not easy. It's not, it's not always going to be easy. It's that we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. I don't know about you, but I love feeling prepared. I would love to walk into every situation in my life feeling like I know exactly what's coming up next. Uh, Maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of you are like, yep, that's me uh, as well. However, we probably all know that there are situations in life that are just difficult to plan for, impossible to plan for fully. Four years ago, I was reminded of this when I had to drop everything and hop on a plane to Virginia because my niece was being born. I got to meet her that day and, and hold her, and it was just an awesome, awesome time with family. Uh, this last week, I actually experienced something very similar to that. Uh, there was, uh, I knew my brother and sister-in-law were expecting a little baby boy um, and my first nephew, and um, on Thursday morning, my family, even before I got up, my family was getting texts about how this, bo- this baby was on the way, how my, my nephew uh, was about to make his debut into the world. And by the time I'd gotten up, I'd already seen, I was already getting pictures. So I was like, awesome, celebrating with family uh, Thursday morning. Uh, hopped in a car, headed to Virginia uh, just to be able to meet my nephew on, on Friday. And that was an awesome time as well. We weren't prepared in that moment. We just dropped everything and left, but it was in the best possible way. 
I'm sure my brother and sister-in-law were probably felt a little bit more prepared for what was going to happen. Like they, they had space ready, prepared for little James when he came home, prepared my nieces for what was going to happen there, probably had an action plan to get to the hospital, all of that. And uh, that said, there, there's still no way to know exactly when he was going to be born. Yeah, we knew he was coming, but when was he going to be born? And the same is kind of true when it comes to preparing for Christ's return. Sure, we, we know, have more of an idea of like when a baby's going to be born than when Jesus is coming back. Uh, but we still can have an action plan for when Jesus, for Jesus coming back. We don't know when he's coming back, but we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. But our world makes that pretty hard, doesn't it, sometimes? We are constantly bombarded with millions of things that are running through our heads, things that uh, that, that are distracting us from what we see in God's word and, and even from what, uh, what's to come, what we know is to come. Things that, that our world's constantly asking us on a daily basis, things like, where do we find truth? How do we care for our families well? How do we know what's being taught in our schools sometimes? What do people think of, of us? If you're a student, what are my grades? Where, you know, Maybe thinking even past that, where am I going to school? Where... Uh, what job will I have one day? There's lots of different things that are vying for our attention that distract us from the reality that we have, the, really the hope that we have. But that, and that's just really when things are going well, right? Like when things aren't going well, there's a million other things running through our heads, things that are difficult that we're dealing with. It might be hard to think through. How, so how do I find time to prepare for Jesus' return? How do I make this this something that's important for me. Well, today we're going to talk about three ways that we can be ready. Three ways we can be ready for Christ's return. And the first is that we need to keep his word. We need to keep his word. We see this in Revelation 22, verses 6 through 11, which says this. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now, as we come to this passage, there's a, a few different voices that we see that are pretty prominent within this passage. The voice of John is prominent. The voice of the angel who revealed this vision to John is present. The voice of Jesus is present. And sometimes it's hard to see maybe where these pick up and where they, they end and all of that. And that might lead us to conclude that this has just kind of been thrown together haphazardly. It's not necessarily the case, but at the same time, uh, it's good to know that while that, is, that might feel that way, that's not the, the, the thing of utmost importance for us today, that ultimately all of these voices do point back to Jesus. They point to him. Yes, we hear the voice of Jesus very loud and clear in this closing of the book of Revelation and, and really all of Scripture, but all of these voices are pointing 
back to him. But that said, let's look at verse 7 where we first see the voice of Jesus coming out um, clear for us in this passage. He says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He says, Blessed are those who keep my word. I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who keep my word. We need to keep his word. But yet so often in this world, things don't pan out. Things uh, aren't really things that we can rely on. And so it might lead us to question, how, are we, how do we know we can actually keep these words? Why, why should we keep these words? Are, these, are they trustworthy? And the answer is yes. We see that in verse 6. The angel says, these words are trustworthy and true. They are trustworthy and true. He's really talking about the whole book of Revelation. But especially, I mean, as we'll see in this passage deals a lot with what we just learned about last week. This vision of the new and holy Jerusalem where all believers will one day be in God's presence worshiping him forever. His words are trustworthy and true because he is God. He is not, his word is not like our word. It's completely different. He is able to perfectly keep his word. He is perfectly trustworthy and true. And these words that we see here They're meant to comfort us. They're meant to give us hope in a world that doesn't often provide us with hope. Sometimes fails us. Reminds us. Jesus is coming back. That the end is good for for those who believe in Jesus. What a beautiful hope that we have. So we can keep his word knowing that it is trustworthy and true. But we can also keep keep his word knowing that this is real. This is real. That's what John says in verse 8 there. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. He's testifying to the fact that this really happened, that this was a real experience that he went through. He's not making it up. Now, you might say, well, isn't John just a normal human being like you and me who might fail to, to keep his word, might make stuff up, might lie at times? Yeah, sure. But what we see it is he is what we see him describe at, through the rest of this verse is pretty um, astonishing. It says, "And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me." Now, if you weren't if you were going to lie about something, why would you lie about this? About this embarrassing moment where he's worshiping an angel, a created being, rather than God Himself. I think that he's doing this to help us see that this is true. This is real. This is something that he really experienced. He doesn't leave out these details. He doesn't cover up his mistakes, but makes us aware of those just as he did already in chapter 19 when he did this very same thing, worshiping at the feet of an angel. And this angel rebukes him. He says, says, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. It says, worship God. And so we see that we should keep his word because it's trustworthy and true, because it's real. This is actually something that's going to happen. And because when we keep his word, when we hear his word and when we keep his word, it leads to the worship of God. It leads to the worship of who he is. What does that look like? Well, for John, the angel says this. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the book, for the time is near. That's what he says in verse 10. 
Don't seal up the words of this book. Don't be silent about what you have seen. Don't be silent about what you have heard. Go and share this with the churches that they may come and worship God. That all might come and worship him. And when we have this opportunity where we hear God's word and, and, and have the opportunity to, to, to hear from it, we're, we have two options. To keep his word, that it will lead to worship of him, lead to things like righteousness and holiness, or we don't keep his word. It leads us to falling deeper and deeper and kind of into it, to, the, to the ways that we do things, things that are sinful, filthy, evil. That's what the angel says here in verse 11. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Two options. Worship God leads to righteousness, holiness. Don't worship him. Don't keep his word. Leads to evil and, and, and unholiness. Filth, that's what it says for us. It's a warning to us to some extent. There's people in this world who won't keep God's word. I'm sure that doesn't really come as too much of a surprise to us. We probably see that um, in, our, in our culture and, and, and even uh, through people that we're, we're constantly reminded that people in this world don't always keep their word. But sometimes they lie, flip-flop on decisions, go back and forth on what they're going to do, and it can hurt at times. It can hurt. But, and it might cause us to question, should we trust God's word? Should we keep his word? And the answer is emphatically, yes, we should keep God's word. Yeah, people may go back on their word. They may not keep God's word. But God is always trustworthy and true. We can trust that what he has written in here is for our good, that is something that matters to us, that we should, we, we should keep his word. And if we're going to keep his word, we also need to know God's word. Because we can't keep God's word if we don't know it. So we need to study this for ourselves. We need to be in this regularly so that we know what he says. So then we can keep it. So that, that way we can see that in a world that oftentimes is so overwhelming that reminds us that, there, that it's, it's difficult to find hope here, that there is comfort, that there is hope, that it's found in Jesus and knowing that he's coming back, knowing that the best is yet to come. Jesus is coming back, and one way that we can prepare for this is to keep his word. So let's keep it. But yet we also see that there's something else we can do to prepare for Jesus' return. We, we see in the next few verses that we, we should wash our robes. Wash your robes. We see this in verses 12 through 15. John says this. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So let's begin yet again with the voice of Jesus here. The voice of Jesus in verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Jesus reminds us yet again, he is coming soon. He's coming soon, and he's going to re bring recompense. He's going to repay those for what they have done. 
for their deeds. Kind of forces us to look back again to verse 11 where we were just at, where we saw that there are two options. We keep his word or we don't keep his word. And when we keep his word, it leads to something like righteousness, holiness. When we don't, it leads to evil and filth. So when Jesus comes back, what's he going to be repaying you for? Will it be righteousness or will it be evil? He's able to do it. We see that. We see that, that reminder as we see who he is in verse 13, that I am the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's what Jesus says. He is he's God. He's always been. He always will be. He's over all things. He has authority over everything in this world. He is the righteous judge who will bless those who will keep his word and repay those accordingly who don't. So how do we know which category we fall into? Because I know that it's, it's, pretty, it's, a, it's a pretty big, uh, it's a pretty big warning. So how do we know whether we fall into the category of the righteous or the unrighteous? Those who are known for their sin or those who are known for righteousness? We see the answer in verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to, to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They have access to the tree of life. They can enter this eternal city that we just learned about last week, the city where God will dwell with his people eternally, the city where we get to see him face to face, worshiping him forever, this beautiful city. Those who wash their robes get to enter into this city. So the question is, how do we wash our robes? Is it, does it, is it something that these people have done themselves? Is it because of something they've done, something they have within them? The answer to that is no. It's no. This language of washing robes is actually used earlier in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 7, verse 14, at the very end of this verse, it says this. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So in other words, the only way that our robes can be washed and made white is through the blood of the Lamb. Through the blood of Jesus, the perfect Son of God who left heaven, came to earth, who lived a perfect life, who was ultimately put to death even though he had done no wrong. He died a death on the cross that he didn't deserve to die, but that we deserve to die because every single one of us sins. Every one of us goes and rejects God's way of doing things and says that our way is better. At some point in our life, we've all done it. Every last one of us. And because of that, we were separated from God. But Jesus paid the price on the cross that our sin deserves bringing us back into a relationship with God. If we come before God and say, God, I have nothing good within me on my own, that on my own, I am unholy, I am filthy, I'm evil, but I need you. I need you. I need the work that Jesus has done for me. I believe in that. When we say these things, we come before the Lord with these things, asking for his forgiveness. He's willing to give it. He's willing to give it. And when that happens, our our clothes have been washed white. Our robes have been washed white. Not because of anything we've done, 
but because we've been given Christ's righteousness. We've been given his righteousness. We've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. The beautiful thing is he didn't stay dead, but rose victoriously from the grave three days later, defeating sin and death. And because of that, we can have hope that what is to come is real. That we will indeed get to take part in the tree of life. That we will indeed enter in through the city by those gates, along with everybody who knows Jesus as Savior. Along with everybody whose robes have been washed white by the blood of the Lamb. We get to experience this glorious city, being in God's presence forever and ever. And it's something that we, you're not going to want to miss. You don't want to miss it. Because the alternative is not good. We see the alternative in verse 15. Outside the city, I'm adding the city in, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. That is the reality for those who don't know Jesus as Savior. But church, let's not forget that, that, was, that, that verse 15 was the reality of everybody before coming to know Jesus as Savior. That we were those evil, filthy people. That we had nothing good within us on our own. That that was our reality. We were living outside those gates at that point. That our future was not in the city with God until Jesus came in and provided a way for our robes to be washed white by his blood. Our reality was the same as these people in verse 15 before any of that happened. Before coming to know Jesus as Savior. That is everyone's reality. It's not a good reality. Because verse 15 details those whose identities have not been made new by the blood of the Lamb. Those who will forever be outside the city, outside of God's presence, experiencing the torment that sin deserves. The torment that Jesus bore for us on the cross. Last month, I had the opportunity to see the live-action Little Mermaid. I don't know how many of you had the opportunity to go see that yet. I, I, I went to it because I was like, this is going to be a good, nostalgic movie. It certainly was those things. Uh, but the theater-going experience uh, was not, not the best. Uh, as the movie was starting, people were being pretty distracting in the theater. Uh, and, and I was like, you know what? I've seen the, mov- I've seen the old movie. I, I know kind of the storyline. I can piece it together with it. So I'm, I was making the best of it. And then... Five to ten minutes left in the movie, we're gearing up for the ending, and all of a sudden, the movie theater loses power. I'm not kidding. That is exactly what happened. I missed the ending. Now, the theater was great. They, uh, they gave us vouchers and all of that, uh, but I, I was disappointed. I didn't get to, to experience this ending of this movie that I was, was waiting for. I did go back and, and watch it. It was good. Uh, But the ending that God has in store for those who believe in Jesus, it's, it's so much better. It's millions and millions upon millions of times better than any ending of any story that we could go and see. We don't want to miss it. For those whose robes are not washed white by the blood of the Lamb, they'll miss the ending. Your experience will be like me going to see The Little Mermaid. You will miss The ending. You'll miss the ending. You'll miss being in God's presence for eternity and the life that he has for you. It's it's, it's something that that is so much greater than what this world has to offer. So bring it. Bring your sin to him. 
Remember that Jesus is coming soon. Make sure your robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Don't put this off. But for those who have, who have, have had their robes washed by the blood of the Lamb, I know that the world is constantly enticing us to say that it has something greater for us than what God has for us in his word. Don't give into it. Don't give into it. But yet I also know there's times where we will, where temptations come in and we give into those temptations in those moments. Continue to bring your sin to the Lord. Continue to bring it to him, knowing that he is willing to forgive you of that sin. As you continually bring it to him, claiming Jesus' righteousness through faith in him. What a beautiful thing that we have. What a beautiful hope we have. So if you know him, know that he has washed your robes. So keep his word. Walk in the good things that he has for you. Be ready for his return. Wash your robes. And finally, one last action step that we can do to prepare for the return of Jesus. Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. We see this in verses 16 through 21, which say this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of the, pro- of the, prophecy, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So once again, I want to take us to the voice of Jesus here in verse 16, where he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He says, I'm the root, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. It might lead us to question, okay, but what does that mean? Because Jesus is telling us something about who he is here. So what does that mean about who he is? Well, Jesus is saying that he is from the line of David. That, he, that, that, that David was given this promise that somebody would sit on his throne, somebody descended from him would sit on his throne forever. Jesus is that one. Jesus is the one who sits on this eternal throne. His rule knows no end. He is over all things and always will be. He is the bright morning star. He will usher in a new day. And on that day, when he returns, all things will be made new. All things will be made right. All things will return to the way they were supposed to be from the beginning of time. That is great hope that we have. Church, we must be ready. So come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. Verse 15 or not 15, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The Holy Spirit calls people 
to follow Jesus. It says, come, come, follow the Lord. Come to the Lord. Come and know Jesus. And let the one who is thirsty come. Those who want to drink of this living water that Jesus has, let them come and drink of this water without price. What a beautiful reality that the Spirit illuminates who Jesus is and tells them about what he has done, saying, come to the Lord. He is willing to freely give you what your heart really needs. It is better, what he has for you is better than anything. So come to him. The Spirit illuminates us to this reality of who Jesus is but we also notice it's not just the Spirit saying come, but it's the bride saying come alongside with the Spirit. The bride, is the, the bride of Christ is the church. It's us, it's you and me who make up and the, the body of Christ who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the Spirit uses us to say come, come to the Lord. Come and follow Jesus. Know that he has something far better than anything that this world has to offer. He uses us doesn't mean that it is something within us that draws people to the Lord. It's the Spirit. The Spirit is doing that. And let those who hear say come. Those who, who start coming to the Lord, let them continue to bring people into this reality, this beautiful reality that Jesus has for us. And it's all free. It's free. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with anything we could do on our own because if it did, we could never know Jesus. We'd never have that relationship with God restored God has given us this gift in sending Jesus so that we may know him, so that the world might know him. And because, uh, and because of all of that, see that he is a God that is worth knowing. That he is a God that is worth knowing. We get to be a part of this church. We should be excited about that. Excited that the Spirit wants to use us to bring people to the Lord, to come to him. Yet there's also a warning within that. There's also a warning within that. In verses 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. This is the church. This is speaking directly to the church because remember, let the one who hears say come. So the one who hears is somebody who's claiming to know Jesus as Savior. It says, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of, the, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Church, we cannot add or subtract from God's word because to do so is to teach his word falsely. It's to teach a completely different gospel than what we see here. And that's not okay. See, it's not enough for us to just be a part of this church, to claim that we're Christians, to be involved here. You actually have to drink of the water that Jesus has, that come to him through faith, having your robes washed clean by his blood. You actually have to know who Jesus is in order to be a part of this. You actually have to. The, the, the world is the one who adds and subtracts to God's word. Might add to God's word saying that there are other ways to know God. That heaven is for anyone, even those who don't believe in Jesus. That our works save us. These things are false. They are not true. It subtracts from God's word too, though, doesn't it? it? Tries to get us to believe that Jesus isn't God's son, that maybe heaven isn't real, that God doesn't actually say X, Y, Z, fill in the blank with whatever he actually does say in his word. 
world adds and subtracts. And we could go down the line on both of these, right? We, they, they're, it's never ending. We can't teach false things about who God is. If we do, we'll experience things like trials and tribulations that will come into this, that are for this world. The trials of this life will be, will be on us, God says. He says that our share in the city will be taken away if we do this. Because we didn't actually know him. If we actually claim, if we claim what the world claims about who God is, while claiming that we actually do know Jesus as Savior, if we claim some of these things and add to the gospel and subtract from it, we don't really know God. To call ourselves Christian, to teach what the world does, it's not okay. And so if this is something that, that, that makes up the reality of your life, I'd ask you to, to, to look deeply within your heart, to maybe even question, do I know Jesus as Savior? Have I received this free gift? Have I drank of the water, the living water that he has? Have my robes been washed clean by his blood? I say that because I care. Because I want all of you, all, everyone here to come to the Lord. So if that's you, stop this. Stop adding or subtracting from the gospel. Come to the Lord. But for those who have come to the Lord already, who, who don't add and subtract from his word, continue to cling to him. Cling to him because this world is tough. It's difficult. Continually bring yourself before the Lord. Ask him for help. He will give it to you. Share the good news with this world of what you have received, what he has done for you, what Jesus has done for you. Share that with people. Be a part of as many people coming to know him as Savior as possible so that as many as possible would be able to enter into that city one day to experience the hope that Jesus provides us with. That this new and glorious city, Jerusalem, would be packed with people worshiping God forevermore in his presence, seeing him face to face. Come to the Lord. From all of this today, we see that we should live in anticipation of Jesus' return. Live in anticipation of Jesus' return. I know there's a lot of different things we anticipate in this world. I think the arrival of a new baby is pretty high on that list. Um, and it was just like my family was, was able to experience this week with the birth of my nephew. It was certainly a joy to meet him this week. But that said, the things that we anticipate in this world, the things that we look forward to, they are nothing compared to what is to come with the hope that we have in Christ. And so we should anticipate Jesus' return even greater than we anticipate the things of this world Yes, yeah, sometimes we need help reminding us. We need an action plan in order to do that. The action plan, just like what we talked about today, that we need to know God's word. We need, we need to keep his word. And we do that by recognizing that it is good, that it is trustworthy, that it is true. And we do that by keeping his word, right? By keeping, or by, by, know, by knowing what's in here. Keep, we keep God's word by knowing it. And so we have to make that a regular rhythm in our lives. If you don't have that, maybe it, Come alongside with somebody that you know does have a, 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 good, um, a, good, a good rhythm of walking in the, in the word. And, and, and come alongside and ask them how they do some of those things. And, uh, and try to incorporate some of those into your time with the Lord as well. We don't just keep his word though. We make sure our robes have been washed in the blood of the lamb. Make sure that we know Jesus as Savior. That it is constantly, or, that he is the one who, who saves us from our sin and is means that we constantly bring our sin before the Lord and ask him to forgive us of it, 
knowing that he will do just that. And then finally, we should come to the Lord. Should drink of the living water that he has provided for us freely and desire that all would come to know him. Extending this invitation to them that they might too come to the Lord. These are just several ways that we can practically live in anticipation of Jesus' return. We know that he's coming back. And this is an exciting reality. This is something that we should be excited for, that we should anticipate. Because for those who know him, the best is yet to come. Don't leave here today without knowing him as Savior. If you're wondering what that looks like, come talk with myself. Come talk with the staff members here at the Plymouth campus. Come talk with anybody here who knows Jesus as Savior. We'd love to talk with you about what it looks like to follow him so that you can too experience this for yourself and also have the hope of this future in him, that you can live in anticipation of Jesus' return. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this hope that you have given us in Christ. Thank you that we, that we have this hope, Lord. We don't deserve it. Our sin deserves to leave us outside this eternal city. But because you sent Jesus, because he died for us and made a way for our robes to be washed white by his blood, you have allowed for us to come into relationship with him, with you, Lord, to know you now and forever. Lord, would we anticipate your return? Would we look forward to it? Would we be excited for it? Would we have a plan for how we're going to do that, Lord? Would you help us to know your word and so we can keep your word? Would you help us to continually bring our sin before you, Lord? Would you help us to come to you and be a part of as many coming to you as possible? that they might see the hope that is available in Christ. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.